to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 120. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it feels like it's uh, been a month or so since we've done a done a podcast, man. We had Labor Day. I was gone. Uh, David Blackman filled in, so it's well, been a while. Yeah, for you, it probably has been a while, but for you know the Cal Ripken and Brett Favre podcasting, it's just another day at the office. But, you know, we did have a lot of stuff that's happened since you've been gone. Um, we've had some reviews, and there's two that I want to point out. One is by this individual who's, I guess, borderline unstable is the best. I know him personally, so, you know, he's borderline unstable. Um, uh, B. Samuels 7106, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you might be able to figure out what the B stands for. If you listen to anything in the oil and gas podcast space or are looking for a good place to start, pick this one. Josh is definitely is a definite, definitely a highlight, and his co-host is pretty good, too. Uh, like I said, the man's unstable. He's on medication. We're working on that. But this one actually caught my attention more. Um, five stars, wonderful, by the old Mr. Hicks. Their voices sound like a mix of Fergie and Jesus. Now, I'm not going to necessarily claim the right to Jesus, but I am giving you Fergie. So I think from now on, you should bring in the show as Ferg or, you know, you can go Fergie if you want to. But as we call you off the show now, it's Ferg. And so it's good to have you back, Ferg. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I've, I've appreciate that, um, that you're that you're here with us. You know, so it's good to be good. Good to have you back. You know, Brian, a lot of times I like to meet some of my listeners and uh, you know, take take them out to lunch. Uh, you know, I travel around and uh, I think Mr. Hicks owes me a lunch. Uh, did, did you hear that? His listeners, Nate. Did you catch that? His listeners. Oh yeah, I got Dee Samuels. Yeah, uh, his, his listeners. His <laughs> other <laughs> other silent majority. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sure it wasn't me. Um, one other news and note for Josh's listeners, not mine. Um, news and notes is that I have now officially come on with the George H. W. Bush Ch- uh, Foundation for U.S. China Relations, and so excited to announce that we will link to a conference that we have coming up here in um, late October, October 28th and 29th. And if you're interested in working with China or having Chinese uh, nationals work with you or your company, reach out to me on LinkedIn. We'll love to talk to you about what we have going on. Really excited um, for Josh's listeners to get this opportunity. It's 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 pretty good, Josh, for your your people. And the final thing, Nate sent an email today making fun of my office space to someone, one of Josh's listeners probably. Um, we are moving to a new studio, and hopefully we'll have that set up next Monday. But if not, I would say... A week from Monday for sure would be safe to bet, huh, Nate? Absolutely. And if not, then uh, you know who to blame. We, that's why I got it on the record. That's exactly why I got it on the record. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure there was no... Uh you know, nothing about that. Uh, and, and finally, people, don't don't send in uh, emails saying that we should lay off Nate. It, it really causes a lot of problems behind the scenes. It really causes a lot of problems behind the scenes. So, anyways, good to have you back, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> good to have you back, Josh. Let's get into it, buddy. All right. So, uh, earlier this week, there was a – I don't know if it was this week or – no, it may have been the week before last. So, uh, Julian Castro, along with Elizabeth Warren, came out with different uh, energy policies – the one we want to talk about today is from an article by Sergio. I think he, I don't know if he personally interviewed um, Julian, but he definitely has some comments from him uh, regarding his views on fracking and energy. And um, 
I think he, he was gave a date of 2035 and he wanted hydraulic fact fracturing to be phased out as a part of a climate plan uh, to get all of its power from renewables by 2035. So uh, interesting article there. And we just wanted to kind of break this down a little bit and, and talk about it because this seems to be a huge push on the Democratic platform. Um, and this is actually one of the more moderate views. Uh, I mean, surprisingly, this this is the more conservative side of the, of the Democratic Party, actually. Well, Josh, when you're in the psych ward, you know, and you're the and you're the least crazy, you haven't actually accomplished a lot, you know, and so we got to put it perspective here. Um, but you are right. It is actually somewhat more realistic compared to the lunacy that we've seen from some of the Democrats. And before we get into this, let's just remind the listeners that, that Ryan likes to say. I, I literally hate them all. So if you want me to get on your candidate, please send me something. I will be happy to to mock him or her um, and their idiots. Idiot. Uh, idiot what, 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 I'm not even smart to say the word there. So there we go. They can mock me as well. Um, they're stupid plans. Josh, here's the thing with this. Um, when I read, through, I went to his website, uh, and I don't. We'll link to it for the millions and millions to uh, to go read for themselves. He actually starts off with a very bad point. And, and he's saying that um, weather-related damages to homes and businesses shrinks the economy. And from an economic standpoint, he is right that when there's a flood, when there's a hurricane, when there's a storm, it actually hurts the economy. So he actually has a very, 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 very basic understanding of the economy. And he can you can see that by his opening statement. The problem is, is he is a complete idiot in everything else he says. And and here's how I'd like to frame this. And I didn't get this idea. This isn't something that I've thought of. Um, I heard other people say this. I'm kind of repeating this point. He says, and I quote, the crisis is the greatest existential threat to our future, but we have the power to mobilize the greatness of America. So let's just break that down, Josh. I need your help here. Let's just say that today you go to the doctor and the doctor says, Mr. Shelton, and, and, and the article references a 12 year time period. So we'll say that, Mr. Shelton, you have 12 years to live. Not only do you have 12 years to live. The disease that you have will not only kill you, it will spread to your children, and your children aren't old enough uh, for in 12 years to have grandchildren, but if they were, the grandchildren. So in 12 years, theoretically, you and all your uh, descendants would be dead because of this disease, something like the plague maybe, that you have. Would that be the main concern of everything that you concern yourself with the next 12 years, or would it be the second, the third, the fourth, the tenth, lower on the total pole? Where would that rank for you, Josh? It would be the only thing that would be on my radar, essentially. I mean, um, yeah, that, right. that. What else would matter? Right. Raising the taxes, lowering the taxes, um, trade deals with China, military industrial complex. None of that would matter if 12 years is all you have. And this is what this lunatic is saying, that he has 12 years. He doesn't believe that. And that's my frustration. Because if you believe that 12 years is all we have, you would be podcasting, you would be videoing, you'd be YouTubing, you wouldn't be flying around the country, you wouldn't be asking reporters to come to see you because you're using fossil fuels. You wouldn't do any of that. So you, sir, are a fraud, like the rest of y'all. And I'm sick of this, Josh. It really is. If we want to say we want to use renewables, I'm not anti-renewable. Go for it. But quit telling me the world's going to end in 10 years. 
It's not because you don't believe it. You are a fraud. You are a liar. You, Pocahontas, Kamala Harris, and whoever else is saying this nonsense is a flipping liar. And the reporters who cover this man and any other Democratic candidate that says this, if you do not call them out, you are frauds because you are driving around in gas-powered vehicles. You are flying around in gas uh, diesel-powered, gas-powered um, planes. You are using fossil fuels. If you think the world's going to end in 12 years and we cannot fix it, then let's not talk about anything else but that. That's it. There's nothing in the world to discuss than to prevent this catastrophic event. And if you think there's something else worth discussing, you're wasting your breath because in 12 years, 11 years, and 364 days by tomorrow, it's over. And Josh, I, I, it, just, it frustrates me because it makes the debate so stupid. Whereas we can have a rational discussion about what the role is of uh, wind energy, what the role is of nuclear energy, what the role is of solar energy. And those are all great solutions. But this crap has to stop. And people, I, reporters, when you're covering these people, you cannot let them lie. You are a fraud if you let them lie like this. Because you don't believe it either. Ask them, how do they know? Why have all these models been wrong? And I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care who the hell you are. If you're going out there and saying this nonsense, you need to be called on it. Be consistent. I think we talked about this either online or on the show. If you really believe this, why are you not just Skyping like we are right now? Why don't you Skype all the presidential meetings? Why don't you Skype all your news conference calls? Why don't you just Skype everything? Because you don't want anyone to travel because you're trying to minimize the impact on the environment. But you're not doing that. Or are you, Josh? They're not, I mean, not you, but that's not what they're doing, is it? No, no. And that's, that's one of the hilarious things about some of these, uh, some of these presidential debates uh, when they go on stage and they spend 30 minutes uh, debating all these topics and they get to climate and then they say things like in 10 years, the world's going to end. You know, if we have 10 years, it's like, well, what the heck was that 30 minutes we just wasted there? I mean, why are we talking about taxes and health care and all this? I mean, why do we want to ensure that people have health care for the next 10 years until you know the species goes extinct? And, and I think I think it's a great point. And I think that the fact that they don't believe it's clear, because if they did, then it wouldn't be ranking number four or number 10 on their important issues. It would be number one and there wouldn't even be any room for anything else. Exactly. That's, Exactly. If tomorrow we wake up and uh, North Korea has a nuclear missile fired at our shore, at the western shore over at California, there will not be talk of anything other than that missile. And I don't know how long it takes to get there, but you know, can we stop it? Did we stop it? Whatever. That would be all the news would talk about because we are looking at global world, world War Three. If um, if the Russians declared war on us, that's all anyone would talk about because it would be such a big threat. We would realize this is what's happening. And if those you are got comparison, yeah, right? Um, finally, Castro, dude, you worked for the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. There is very few things in this world that are more useless than that. I mean, I'm trying to think here. You've got maybe the Department of Education. Um, oh gosh, the IRS, the Federal Reserve. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you are the secretary of HUD. Dude, don't lecture us on what's important or not. You have wasted more of our tax dollars than any, than most people will in their lifetime. Final few things here, Josh. 
I want you, we will link to this because we want the listeners to, to listen to it, uh, to go read it. Um, just read through this and go, as Josh and I pointed out, well, okay, A, if it is such a big deal, why are you talking about anything else? We need to be screaming this from the mountaintops. B, together we, this is a quote, together we will direct $10 trillion in federal, state, and local and private investments over the next decade to create 10 million good-paying jobs. Transition away from fossil fuels, build a 100% clean energy economy, and lead the world of the 21st century. $10 trillion. Where is that $10 trillion coming from, Josh? I mean, I, I'm not very smart. Where is that $10 trillion coming from? Uh, your wallet. My wallet. That's right. That's right. So you are not only an idiot, you're a thief, and you're going to use the gun to point it at me and take my money for your crap that you don't believe. I have zero respect for you as a man, as a person, and any other person of power who will use the sword to promulgate this nonsense. So... Now, if he wants to come on, we'll be nice to him. But he ain't on today, so we're just going to make fun of this bullcrap because it's bullcrap. And if you're one of his supporters, you need to share it with him because the reporters that follow him around, they ain't going to call him on this bullcrap. He comes on here, he's going to get a little, bit of that, a little bit of this action. So, I'm sorry. You got me fired up, Josh. Why would you put this in the show? Man, I, I just I, I love seeing you in politics, man. We uh, You don't need coffee. You just need uh, a little <laughs> bit of politics on a Monday morning. I hate them all. I hate them all. God, if we had some Trump stories, I'd get on him, too. I just hate them all. They it, it just, it just, it just drives me crazy, man. It really, really does. And it's, it's because, because I actually do care about people. I really do. And that's what drives me crazy, is that when you care about people, you actually are concerned about this. Let's just say if we stop fracking on whatever, what's election day, November 4th, 5th, whatever it is next year. So the January 3rd, 10th, whatever. Let's say you stop fracking. What happens to the price of oil? What happens? It skyrockets. What happens to the price of consumer goods that are derived from oil? They go up. What happens to your gas? It goes up. Who does that hurt? It hurts the people you say you're trying to protect, which is the middle class and the poor, you buffoons. It just, it's just, it's simple economic. I am an, I don't graduate college. I'm a buffoon, and I know this. They are liars, they are crooks, and they are cheats. And if you don't like that message, I'm sorry. Go read an economic textbook. Nate's looking at the watch. He's tired of the economics lessons. Let's move on. Dang it, Josh, you got me fired up first thing. Nate's your uh, fault. <laughs> it's always Nate's fault. God, Nate. All right, so uh, pipelines, new Permian gas pipelines <laughs> produce flaring. So good friend David Blackman uh, put out an article today and basically details a few pipelines that are going to be coming on in the next 12 to 18 months. I mean, it's pretty big ones. So we all know flaring has been up um, tremendously in, in around Midland, Permian Basin. And in the next 12 to 18 months, we have the Gulf Coast Express Pipeline, uh, the... There's another one that is coming on, the Freeport LNG and Senior Energy. They're going to be uh, doing some expansion announcements. Although, Ryan, there's a, we're going to get into this. I don't know if we have time today, but uh, oilprice.com released something that some of these expansion announcements are being put on hold due to some of the negotiations between China. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. But uh, with, with that said, a lot of pipelines are coming on and, and therefore we should see flaring reduce pretty tremendously. The question is, with these new pipelines, will that give us more access to gas and will that cause the prices to um, go down considerably? So that's going to be the thing to watch. Hard to tell at this point, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. 
Well, it's a lot more fun to discuss than morons we just talked about. Um, <laughs> no, this is interesting for a lot of reasons. I, I, I think we, we talked about this what, before you went on your six weeks hiatus a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Railroad Commission is talking about, well, I say talk about, uh, Wayne Christensen voted against flaring, so he had a two to three vote. Um, and so it kind of made people go, okay, is this for show? Is this reality? And I've been talking offline. Obviously, part of what I'm doing with the Bush China Foundation is help negotiating deals to get gas to China. That's part of the role I'll be playing there. So I'm very excited about some of that stuff. But that being said, it's going to be interesting to see because we talked about the rig count going down. Um, and I think we covered an sh- article on this show or another show about potential Mark Papa coming out saying that he thinks, uh, I think it's 700,000 barrels a day will come off the market next year. Well, we think, when we think about Permian production decrease, we have to figure out um, whether or not, if that happens, um, how much natural gas, because the Permian produces a ton of natural gas, not on purpose, as we're talking about here, it's just a result. So if the oil production does go down, which I don't think it's going to go down that much, but if it does, let's say, how does that impact the natural gas market? So it's an interesting spot. The other thing is, there are new technologies, some of the stuff that we've been working with um, off, all, uh, you know, throughout the week, is you know what to do with this excess gas, you know, what to do with it, how to use it. And so there's, there, there's a spot in the market now where people are coming in saying, okay, we see the flaring. We're wasting the gas. We don't want to waste the gas. How do we turn this into a profitable business while prices are low? And I think there's a lot of folks who are trying to figure out this problem, um, but you just kind of you're kind of stuck with the fact that the Permian is so robust in oil production, and there just happens to be natural gas that comes out of there. If you if you if you didn't have that, you know, the natural gas market would look a little bit differently. Um, on top of that, though, if the natural gas price does go down, I think you're going to see the companies who mainly drill in natural gas plays or have a lot of presence there, a lot of acres there, they're going to want to go in and you know and really capitalize on, on that price point increase. So, yeah, I think David says that he summarizes summarizes it up at the at very end. He says while many very smart while many very smart people will make educated educated guesses in the coming months, no one really knows what the answer will ultimately become like every other aspect of oil and gas, it's a risk. And I think he's right. There's so many things, you know, how much will the Permian uh, production go down? Because, again, mainly oil, but a lot of natural gas. Um, the pipeline's coming on. Trade deal with China. Um, you know, all of this stuff you start to look at, you go, well, well, chicken, chicken and egg, and how does it play out, and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely an interesting thing to see. Yes, it is. And, you know, I mentioned in some of the, um, we were talking about some of the climate stuff. Um, New Mexico uh, actually is setting records with production. I think they were up 26% from last year. They have uh, a report here that says that $174 billion is going to be spent on infrastructure by 2030. And, and they're, I think they're, New Mexico's oil revenue alone was $2.2 billion in 2018, um, which has a little, there's a comment made in here that says that there was a, a, a pledge that New Mexico governor made about climate, uh, making New Mexico more climate friendly by, I think it says New Mexico's electricity emission free by 2045. There it is. So uh, being emission pr- free by 2045 may cause some issues to develop here. So New Mexico has an opportunity. They have a lot of money coming in, infrastructure, but all of this may end up being stifled by some of the pledges that they made to make their electricity 
emission free, which is going to cause prices to go up. You know, things like we we're, were mentioning earlier. So, um, New Mexico is one of those states that has benefited greatly by by oil and gas. But I don't know what what their future is going to hold with uh, with some of the the leadership there. Yeah, and this goes to part of this is part of the thing with like Castro's comment is twenty thirty five. I think was his date twenty forty five. It's really hard to understand. When you talk about these deadlines that are so far out there, uh, I don't know how old um, the governor is, but it's quite possible by 2045 she won't even be alive. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying it's not like it's just around the corner. You're talking uh, 20, what, 26 years away or something like that. So it's a, it's a long time to, to to forecast something like that. You know, the Democrats are in power now. The Republicans may be in power then. The federal government might change. So when I read these, I, I sit there. I go, okay, I'm not too sure. And I don't know, and this would be something to look up, it, uh, look up, is how do the voting demographics shake out in New Mexico? What I mean by that is, if you take the southeastern portion of the state where a lot of this money is being generated for, if that's a very small percentage of the voting base, um, then you might have other parts of the state who are against this or, or, or in favor of what the governor's proposing here who could, could actually outvote those southern southeastern counties. I know you have some stuff in the northwestern part of the state as well. So the demographics of the state... Will We'll, we'll, we'll kind of push this as well, Josh, because if you think about it, if you have a, you know, if you take something like New York City, um, what New York City wants essentially is what's going to happen in the state of New York because it has all the population right there. So even if the northern part of the state was getting a huge benefit from something, if, this, if New York City doesn't want it, it has all the votes. So I don't know exactly about the voting demographics, but that I think that would be the thing to follow here is how do the voting demographics shake out and uh, do the, the oil and gas rich parts of the state actually have the numbers to vote in the, uh, the, the Congress people, the state senators, the governors? Um, to get the legislation that they want passed. Yeah, good point. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how that plays out because it's going to be very um, influential in the in the state. I mean, the, I think it says their revenue, thirty-two point three percent of the New Mexico State General Fund came from oil and gas. So, uh, very big, very big deal for New Mexico. We talked about uh, pipelines, uh, the pipeline protest laws. We actually had someone on, a lawyer, that, that spoke on it um, briefly. And I think the law passed this past week, and there's been what – they, what they've shown is there's been a reduction in pipeline protests. Um, interesting stuff. We wanted to keep up with it. Uh, there is – the, the, the way this article is written is they're saying that it goes beyond simply um, trespassing – uh, and it's really discouraging protests in general because a lot of these people who are funding these protests are nervous to be held liable due to the increase in uh, the penalty. You know, the, the amount of money you may have to pay is pretty substantial. So what uh, what they're saying is, 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 you know, if you have someone that's actually organizing a protest, they're nervous about this because if someone steps out of line, that they may be costing them a lot of money. So. Uh-huh. Which, if, which, if true, is exactly what we brought up with Todd Staples and is what we brought up with um, the, the, the Freeman's Able guys. Not this exact, exact scenario, but it was exactly our fear, which is the government takes power and then expands upon that power. And then we already have trespassing laws in place. And I don't know who it was, but one of them said, well, those laws weren't really working. It's like, well, right, disenforce that law. I mean, that's, I mean, again, I'm not very smart, but disenforce. 
which the trespassing law should work. Instead, we have new laws and these laws. The courts will obviously determine how this actually shakes out. But if what they're saying here is true, and it may or may not be, it is because if you have a if you want to protest. As much as I hate what Castro is saying, I fully support the right of people to go out there and protest within the legal bounds of a protest. You can't trespass. You can't get on someone else's property. But if you want to go out there and protest within legal bounds, please go do that. That is your right as an American citizen. And I support the the, the concept of the protest, not maybe the what you're protesting, but the concept. Um, and so what we were afraid of, which was, hey, people go out and protest, and then, you know, there, there's a pipeline right away, especially there's maybe not a defined boundary, and people get arrested, and they shouldn't be in. Well, now, if you, Josh Shelton, you know, lobby against pro- uh, pipelines goes out and wants to send out 30 protesters to protest this pipeline, um, and then one one cat gets out there and acts crazy, well, next thing you know, if, if again, if this report's correct, and we'll have to find out more about this, is uh, Josh Shelton ends up paying a half million dollar fine for that. And that's 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 terrible if, if, if that's true that is terrible because folks again we're not pro we're pretty pro oil and gas i think my opening statement made that clear however um while today it could be pipelines tomorrow it could be the issue that's important to you where you're being um censored against on this so but yeah maybe we should get back on um you know the Zabel folks or Staples or someone to to comment on this because it could be, you know, overselling it, Josh, or maybe it is true. I don't know, but if it is true, it would be a uh, would be a scary precedent to set. Well, Ryan, uh, when I have time to go over, uh, I pulled up a four geopolitical trends to watch in 2019. It's an exclusive report from oilprice.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's got some interesting stuff about um, some of the things that China is trying to develop right now, as well as some uh, comments on the trade war in regards to LNG. Um, interesting read if, if uh, any listeners want to want to take a, take a look at it, any of my listeners especially. Um, we have three uh, three reports I wanted to go over for the Texas Roundup. Uh, the first one was a Japanese company is preparing to drill Inpex uh, in the Eagleford. So Inpex, a Japanese company, is preparing to drill in the Eagleford. Uh, some more information here. This is uh, Sergio's Drilling Down articles. Be sure to check that out. Concho, they're selling some permanent assets to Spur Energy. Now, if you, if you don't know who Spur Energy is, uh, some of the people who were involved in Wild Horse, they sold to Chesapeake, and they are uh, they developed uh, Spur Energy, who just acquired 900 for 925 million um, some Concho assets that were uh, on the New Mexico. Now Concho did uh, retain a lot of their stuff in the Delaware Basin, but they did you know they did uh, offload quite a bit of other New Mexico assets. And last but not least, uh, we've heard some talks about uh, fracking and earthquakes. So uh, another article came out. This was September the 3rd when this came out. I just wanted to mention it because we've heard a a good deal about that in uh, in New Mexico. We've heard that some folks are moving a little further west to um, offset some of this. But this article cites a couple of studies, one done in 2017, they go all the way back to like 1970, uh, that are 1966 actually, that are reporting 
increased seismic activity due to SWDs. So all I'm doing here is just making note that it's something that's continuing to be discussed and I really just want to know how this is going to be used because I don't see anything definitive. I mean, they say that they have found some causal relationships, but they haven't cited anything in this article or anything that I've seen to show how SWDs are increasing seismic activity. And um, I'm just wanting to see you know, some more substantive stuff come out of that. So uh, just mentioning here in passing. And with yeah, that roundup, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just say, and, and let's, before we get on Joe Dancy, let's, um, let's uh, put out to listeners, folks like Castro, Warren, how do you think we should respond to them? Because it, the problem is, is that if you try to take a balanced approach, um, the what they're saying is so extreme and so crazy um, that you can't really take a balanced approach. Um, but on the flip side, um, we want to be open to have discussions, but so I'm curious how the listeners would deal with what they're saying because to me, it is a topic that is, uh, as maybe you caught on, a little bit frustrating. Mm. All right, we have our guest Joe Dancy now with SMU. He's back on the show with us. Joe, we've been looking forward to this for quite a while, man. How are things going? Hey, been going really good. I've been uh, traveling a bit. Been up to North Dakota to see some Bakken whales. Been to Denver to talk to lease analysts. Uh, been to Oklahoma City to teach a week-long course to a bunch of students there in Oklahoma City, and uh, back in Dallas for the fall semester with SMU, our McGuire Institute uh, Energy Institute. It's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I saw you post real quick. Let's kind of take a. Uh... Uh, I snapped into LinkedIn, a link to, uh, link to your LinkedIn profile. You posted a video of some Balkan crudel. Um, I guess it was an experiment you were doing a few weeks ago or months ago. Just, just out of curiosity, we'll link to uh, your profile so people go see that. But what, what was the genesis of that uh, experiment and kind of walk people through what was going on there? Well, actually, the, uh, we, had a, we had a regulators meeting, the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission meeting in North Dakota up near Medora, and I've never been in the Balkan. I've been up in North Dakota, but never been on a Balkan well. And we got a tour with all the regulators, and I asked them, gee, can I take some uh, Balkan crude home? And, of course, uh, a typical professor question. And he he fills up uh, a bottle with Balkan crude. It's really light, API, um, like 43 API gravity, which the typical Texas crude apparently is around 30. So, you know, the conventional crude is a little thicker. And my question is, um, Ryan, is – you know, I've seen the cars when they derail catch fire and they look like they're gasoline. And so it's like, gosh, could, could this could this catch fire? And of course, I go out in the driveway and I take a Starbucks cup and put it upside down, put like, you know, a half ounce in there. And I had no clue whether it would go up or not. And it went up like gasoline. And of course, then I get all the uh, LinkedIn comments that, oh, it's great that, you know, you're showing those Starbucks folks what you think of their coffee. And then I can also get the safety guys and the oil company. Where was your heart at? Where was your glasses? You know, were you burning down? The, you could have burned down the rig. Of course, they didn't realize this is in Dallas. And actually, out of sight, I did have a fire extinguisher and a hose. But it did illustrate, number one, um, the Balkan crude, any, any unconventional crude apparently is very light and will ignite. And so is a, a bigger safety hazard than maybe the typical conventional crude. And uh, I showed that to my students uh, last week, and they loved it, too. They thought it was really pretty cool. And of course, it's better I did it in my driveway than in a classroom at SMU and created a panic. 
Right. So, Joe, help us understand what, where, the, where the market is right now. We've got a lot of mixed signals coming in. Um, the price has stayed in the 50 range for most part of the year. Um, but if you look at quarterly earnings and stuff like that, there's a lot of fear uh, what's going to happen with some of these mid-small size companies. Can they survive this environment? Um, do they need the price to get up into the $60, $70 range? What are you hearing out there um that that you know for i know for a while you were kind of posting a lot of reports on linkedin saying hey this is kind of where your things are at but just general thirty thousand foot view what are you hearing in the market as for how companies are doing will they be able to survive it's not low prices but it's not great prices either yeah it's actually the prices are pretty darn good i didn't realize how much uh from the first of the year to present i don't the chart in front of me i mean we're looking you know, 10 or $15 higher now than it was on January 1st, which is pretty incredible. Uh, of course, gas prices, natural gas prices are just absolutely uh, decimated. But the interesting thing is, Ryan, if you look at the um, your discounted cash flow models, and I, I, we deal with a bunch of people in the industry, especially out of Houston that do the financial stuff, and they've said they've never seen in their 20 or 30 year careers discounted cash flow models undervaluing the energy sector as much as it has. And um, so the implication is, is most of the Wall Street folks figure uh, that you can just drill a well anywhere and you're gonna get thousands of barrels you know, running out of the well that will you know, kill, kill supply. And so you're gonna have uh, weak prices going forward. I will say, you know, from what I've heard and what I've seen, is talking to these experts, and Raymond James actually had a report out recently uh, in the last couple of weeks showing how the well productivity has really flattened out the last six months, as well as just well production. And so, you know, when Wall Street looks at that, and their, their hypothesis is we've gotten so good at fracking wells, we're putting in so much sand, we're putting in so much water that it's, frac- it's doing such a good job, it's pressure depleting the reservoir. Now, whatever, whatever unconventional reservoir you have, and so when you go in and you, you drill the child well or the development wells, what they're finding is those wells are nowhere near as productive as the initial well. And I've seen this for the last year. We had someone, uh, Society of Petroleum Engineers, came up to the student chapter in Norman, and she presented a great paper. She, she, made, she prepared on parent-child problems. And so if that's the case going forward, yeah, to answer your question, number one, at current prices, you know, there's a lot of companies that are that are cash flow positive and that will do really well long term. Uh, number two, you know, going forward, I, I don't see a lot of price weaknesses in oil anyway. Natural gas is another st- subject. I don't see the oil gas prices going much lower because they're pretty well complete de- depressed right now. But uh, but going forward, I, I do think. And actually, Raymond James is of the opinion, and of course, they're always, they've been bullish for the last year or so. They, they see $75 barrel or higher in the fourth quarter, which we're entering here shortly. And they see actually $90 barrel oil next year, which is even better. And you throw all those numbers in a cash flow model, and the companies that you, you're looking at are 100% undervalued. And actually, one of the people I deal with uh, periodically out of Houston, he has these discounted cash flow models, his average portfolio, he has 16 companies in his large, he calls it the sweet 16. His average company is 100% undervalued, which is, a, which is much more than normal. And so what's going on now, it's either predicting 
much lower oil prices, a trade war, a super recession, or we're going to do the energy sector is going to do pretty well going forward. That being said, you know, God drilling activity is down 15% from a year ago. So that's another, if you don't drill the wells, you aren't going to get the production. So that's, that's where we're at, Ryan. That's what I've been hearing. Now you were at the interstate, what's that? I get, I always get the com, uh, interstate commerce commission. Is that the right title? Yeah. Interstate oil and gas compact commission. Yes. I'm part of the Texas delegation. Uh, Wayne Christian was there. The, the railroad commissioner, uh, all the hot shots, uh, the big players from North Dakota regulatory, the North Dakota uh, governor came and spoke to us. And I got to talk to him for a few minutes. He was a pretty interesting guy. He's from business. He's really pro oil. Um, so it was, yeah, it was an interesting program with those folks. What, you know, now when we got you on, I think the very first time you had been to one of those. And one of the things that was so fascinating was y'all had talked about sand and fractal strength of sand. And we had you on. Um, since then, the sand market's kind of had an interesting up and down. What are some of the things that maybe from the regulatory side of things that folks are looking at that just the average you know, news cycle isn't picking up? Because back then, that was kind of some of the concerns and some of the points of discussion. What are some of the things maybe, what's it been a year or two years since we've had you coming on, that um, the market shift, and maybe it's not saying anymore, but maybe some new issue that um, for our listeners to keep their eyes out for? Yes, the sand issue pretty much has been addressed and resolved. One of the uh, big issues, this is like, this is huge, is as the industry slows down, you're going to see, a, you're seeing a bunch of property transactions. That's the oil and gas business. You, you and I are trading. We're both operators. You and I are trading wells. We're trading properties. Or I'm going out of business. I'm selling my or my my lenders say, you know, Joe, you got to sell this and raise cash to fix your balance sheet. So I sell properties to you or vice versa. The regulators are real concerned because under most of the state statutes, you or I just have to have one one uh, plugging bond. For, you know, if we have one well or if we have a thousand wells. And so what's happened is I have a $100,000 plugging uh, bond and you transfer me, you know, 50 wells. And if I go out of business, I may have 50 wells to plug and it's going to cost more than $100,000. And the regulators are looking at that and they realize a couple things. Number one, they don't want to get involved in the transactions because most of the times the deals between you and I are legitimate. But in some cases, you know, they're concerned that if, if you know I'm bankrupt and are just unloading these wells that need to be plugged and realize I'm not going to plug them, you know, they're concerned that the, the taxpayer is going to be stuck with plugging a bunch of wells. And this happened in Pennsylvania about a year ago where a company went bankrupt and they had like 1,400 wells and couldn't plug them or operate them. A guy in, um, got a company in Wyoming had a bunch of coal bed methane wells and the state of Wyoming got stuck with like 10 or $20 million of plugging liability. So they're concerned, but the other thing is they don't want to jump in and stop a transaction. So it's they're they're in a world of hurt where, on one hand, they want to protect the public. On the other hand, they don't want to get involved in private property transactions. And the bonding companies, you know, for the most part, to get a bond, a plugging bond, it's getting harder and harder because most of the banks and most of the lending folks, you know, they realize the liability there, and you, know, you have past a hundred thousand dollars, and to get one, it's going to get expensive, and they aren't going to want to, to write it. So. That was one of their big concerns is the is the um, the plugging bond issue. What about 
the flaring issue, we talked about that a little bit before you came on. Um, obviously, in Texas, uh, we saw the Railroad Commission come out for the first time in a long time um, and finally had a two to three, uh, two to one vote uh, in favor of keeping the flaring permits going on. They've been doing it three to nothing for so long that it's kind of become, you know, almost as if it's not even a, regu- a regulatory issue. Where are the discussions about that, or are there discussions at these com- these uh, these meetings about what to do with flaring? And where do you think personally we're going to be a year from now on the flaring issue? Oh, that's a good question. That was the other issue that came up is flaring, and that's been going on, like you say, for a while now. We, I was very impressed. They took all the regulators out. They have a um, near Medora in western North Dakota. There's a new, um, well, it's relatively new. It was, it was built about five years ago natural gas liquids plant where they actually are stripping the liquids out of the natural gas, which is great. And then they take the pipeline residue gas and ship it to market where historically that stuff would have been flared. And what they're doing, it was really interesting. We also got to see the Freiburg um, rail terminal and they actually take not only crude oil that they're shipping out there by rail, but they also take natural gas liquids and they ship out propane. um, I guess you call it Y grade, and a couple others in actual rail cars. And um, the regulators are still pushing for a reduction in uh, flaring. And in North Dakota, we've seen a substantial decrease in flaring. And in Texas, unfortunately, as we build out the pipelines, you're, you're going to see a, a reduction in flaring. But I actually came up talking to some regulators sort of in the bar. Um, they said, you know, industry might be better off even though they don't have to, just shutting in some of these wells because the publicity from flaring is so bad because you see that, you know, you can drive and you can see it for miles in in both Texas and in North Dakota. And they said for the 2% or the 5% of gas that's getting flared, it might be better just to shut in the oil well because otherwise the public perception of the industry is so bad. Um, But it is being addressed. And it is interesting that the Freiburg oil terminal, you'll have this, the big, the, one of the biggest markets for propane and um, butane is Mexico. They're shipping this stuff in Mexico. And they said, Joe, you know, it's interesting. We don't have a problem now in August, but when it gets January and it's 30 below here, we don't fill the cars completely up because it goes down to Mexico City. And in Mexico City, it's 85 degrees. And you have, you know, the stuff will be flowing out of the car or that, through the pop-off valley valve. So, they go, we have to figure out the temperatures. You know, some of the Mexican folks, they want to odorize. Because we'll odorize the gas right here in North Dakota before we put it on the rail. Uh, or they can odorize it down there. So it's an interesting market. But they said, we can ship. Because that's a huge market for uh, natural gas liquids is Mexico. And I was glad to hear it. Because it's, uh, you know, it's any gas that you can sell outside the United States is is incremental market that we really need to keep the prices a little more robust. Sure. Final question I have for you is, and I'm not sure if this is being addressed or not, but I'm just curious from an insider's perspective, um, you know, depending on what day you wake up, depending on what President Trump's saying about tariffs and international regulations and trade wars and, and whatnot, on the state level, are they following what the president's doing and try to make sure that their their policies are, <laughs> are in play? Because you talk about sending stuff to Mexico. Obviously, there's, there's some balancing act um, with what's going on with Mexico historically. I know they announced some new anti-dumping tariffs on the Mexican uh, steel here recently. Are, are these regulators at all focused on what's happened at the federal level, or are they kind of separate themselves and really trying to stay to state and local issues only? 
I think from what I can tell, they're pretty much trying to stay state and local issues only. And you know, part of the problem is at the federal level, um, it's difficult to track, number one. And number two, uh, to implement that on a local basis is, is difficult. But the same issues, I mean, with flaring, with regard to export, um, you know, with regard to water rights is another uh, emerging issue. Uh, with regard to, you know, environmental issues with regard to wells that have not been plugged or need to be plugged. I mean, those are all sort of state issues. They're also federal issues. And um, uh, it is interesting just talking to the state regulators. They coordinate with the federal folks, but they, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a state regulators following the federal lead or vice versa. They, they sort of like two different teams, you know, one's the Dallas Cowboys right. and the other one is, yeah, the New York Giants. And so, right. uh, yeah, they both uh, sort of have their own playbook. Well, and, you know, and I, 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 I fundamentally agree with that. I, I guess the reason I was asking is because obviously Trump's always talking foreign policy, but also you think of something like Colorado, where they were trying to basically ban fracking last year and the implications of a federal lawsuit to get the Supreme Court to overturn that. Um, I just wondered if there's any kind of tension going, you know what, we want to keep things nice and tight and local, um, but also having to deal with the reality that it might get some a lot more federal involvement. But um, but no, that makes perfect sense. So when is the next meeting? Because we wanted to obviously get you back on to talk about what the trend is. So when's the next meeting and what can we expect between now and then? Well, the next meeting is in May, and it'll be in Oklahoma City, so it takes a while. And uh, I will say, um, just to sort of uh, piggyback on your comments, the uh, in Colorado and in New Mexico, they have a new governors and new, essentially, legislatures, and both states are much less oil and gas friendly than the previous uh, legislative group. And so looking forward, if you're in Colorado or if you're in New Mexico, you can expect much less um, um, leeway, I guess, if you're in the oil and gas business in both states. And of course, both states realize how the huge economic, economic um, impact those industries have. But on the other hand, you know, they're much more of the, I mean, I don't know if you saw Elizabeth Warren just came out and said she's going to ban fracking on the first day if she's elected. And the governors of those states in New Mexico and Colorado sort of have adopted, not quite that far, but sort of that same attitude that oil and gas is a danger and is maybe bad versus being a benefit. And of course, uh, you know, Trump is, takes the opposite. It's, you know, it is, the oil and gas is a benefit. And I think, uh, North Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, most of those states will agree. We may or may not have had a slight heated discussion about those very comments at the beginning of the show, Joe. <laughs> you know, it, it's so frustrating because one of the, we we're talking about Julian Castro, who was in the news recently. Of course, Warren said that. And, and it's so frustrating because the the thought process is catastrophic climate change coming and we got to stop it and then they don't actually act like they believe it they fly around in jets and planes they invite people to big conferences where you've got to use oil and gas to get there you've got to use uh, oil and gas to heat and cool and build these arenas and stadiums they use all the oil and gas benefits but then continually tell us how bad and evil it is and it, it feels like from 
if you want to have a discussion about where renewables go, where nuclear goes, whatever, geothermal, let's have that discussion, Joe. But man, it gets old when you're told that, hey, in 12 years, we're going to end this thing. Uh, the world's going to end. But then we act as if it's not even a reality. And then on top of that, if we stop fracking on January, whatever it is next year for Elizabeth Warren, it actually hurts the middle income and poor people of our society because oil prices go up, cost of plastics go up, cost of gasoline and diesel goes up. And so it's for me, it's, it's something that that I've gotten to where I take pretty personal because if you actually care about people, these policies are very detrimental to the working class of our of our economy. Actually, a very good point. Alex Epstein, who wrote The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, I have him in my class. He Skyped in uh, about six months ago. He made that exact point to my students who had never heard it before. It's like, if you're restricting fossil fuels and going to make them much more expensive, the people you are going to hurt the most are the people the poor and the disadvantaged people in society because they can't afford to pay another dollar per gallon for natural gas. They can't afford to cool their house or heat their house. And so the politicians who are trying to make us go renewable and entirely green and have everything cost five times as much to, to reduce demands are actually doing you know, a large portion of this country a major disservice and it was a real good, Alex made a great argument. He, it, 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 you just made the same argument, and I... I Probably I, got it from him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've definitely got some of my stuff from him and other people that are a lot smarter than me. It's just, it just seems pretty simple that if, uh, if you think the world's good in 12 years, quit flying all over on your private jets and, and inviting the thousands to come out and see you using oil and gas and fossil fuels. Joe, it was great to have you on. You are at the McGuire School of uh, Energy at SMU, um, and which is not too far from where I'm sitting at right now. What do you got going on there, and where else can people connect with you and find out more about what you got going on? Well, actually, the, um, yeah, the classes at SMU are all undergraduate. They have a new MBA program. They have a new class for me to teach dealing with, uh, actually, energy finance. So it'll be interesting to do. The, uh, if they want to connect, maybe LinkedIn is probably the best place to connect. Because, as you know, I have like 37,000 followers. And I post all sorts of stuff on energy history, energy developments, reports, you know, links to your show, links to other shows. And if you're in the energy, I mean, I, and... It started you know, about five or six years ago, a number of students started sending me stuff to post that are out in industry. And these are students that have you know, graduated 20 years ago. So some of the stuff they sent me, Ryan, was really good stuff. And of course, it's good for their firms, it's good for me, and, it's, uh, and it keeps you on the cutting edge of all this. And it, this is a, it's an exciting industry. I mean, if you can't get excited about the energy industry, you are definitely one of the best followers on LinkedIn. I think that's how we got connected way back when. And one of our best guests. So we appreciate you coming on again. Nate, will link to your profile in the show notes. Thank you for coming on. And we had a little technical difficulty, got that worked out. And so we appreciate your time today, Joe. All right, Brian. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Joe. Well, thanks again for Joe Dancy with SMU, Associate Director of the McGuire Energy Institute. I uh, really appreciate him coming on. Great insights um, into uh, some of the things discussed up in North Dakota. And, you know, Ryan, I, I wasn't aware, uh, to be honest, that North Dakota was more aligned with Texas and Oklahoma and that Colorado and New Mexico shared some of that uh Leadership, you know, based on the articles that we just looked at, uh, with some of the things we said about New Mexico, and then uh, what we know about Colorado, it does make sense. It lines up, but um, you would just yeah, think great. New Mexico would be closer to 
Texas, Texas. Than, than North Dakota. You just would kind of yep. think that just because North Dakota, just, just geographic, you go, well, North Dakota is closer to Canada, Texas and Mexico are closer. You know, you would just kind of think that. But also, North Dakota, New Mexico is you know adjacent to Colorado. So you have probably a lot of influence coming in from there as well. And like I said earlier, I think Nate actually pulled some numbers for us. Um, he said, this is from Nate. I don't know where he got this from. He said, there are three voting districts, two wildly blue, one wildly red. Blue districts have Santa Fe, Albuquerque, outnumbering the Republicans. 46 of the 70 state representatives in the legislature are Dems um, from Northern District. That's New Mexico kind of at a high-level voting trend. Thank you for that, Nate. Um, so, yeah, so you have the Colorado uh, influence as well. And, you know, I'm not a uh, – this is the New Mexico podcast, so I don't really know much about New Mexico. But I'd be curious to see historically – where they have aligned, if they've been more um, of a, you know, kind of a blue dog Democrat state or more of a wildly progressive state, because the longer the oil and gas industry impacts them, you would expect them to become more centrist or more red just because of all the money coming in, people moving out there, jobs being created and stuff like that. So um, anyways, well, Josh, um, I guess you got me riled oh, up, man. You know. Yeah. I, uh, one last thing. Uh, the other two weeks ago, uh, I went to the University of Tulsa. And I met I met with some of those guys up there. Uh, one of our listeners actually got us uh, got us hooked up to to go there and look. They have a fantastic program they're doing there on energy. Uh, I visited uh, Dr. Oz with uh, drilling, and then production. Um, one of the director there, he gave me a great tour. I mean, some of the great greatest minds in the industry are are working on uh, things to increase efficiencies. So. Um, Man, the the programs at the University of Tulsa and the energy energy department, I mean, they're just fantastic. So, yes, thanks, thanks. Uh, to them. Yeah, thanks for having. They invited Josh and I up. I couldn't make it. Um, but my daughter had surgery, but thanks for obviously sending the invitation. And uh, if we can get Nate, maybe link to that in the show notes. Um, their energy department, what's going on there? We'll link to that as well. I, I'm kind of nervous, Josh. We went off on the Dems today. Uh, Speakner may may come after me pretty pretty hard offline this week, so I'm a little nervous for uh, for Speakner's comments. Next week we have on the return. Of kind of, I guess, a villain of the show, you might say. I'd call him a villain. Sergio Chapa um, should be on next week. So he's kind of crushed us on the Barnett. And, you know, it's, it seems to just actively work against the show. I don't know why. We're always nice to Sergio. We've never done anything wrong to him that I can think of. Can you think of anything, Josh, that we've done to Sergio? No, we've always I mean, supported we, him. We've, know, we, we basically got him hired to the Chronicle. I mean, I we basically so, got yeah. him hired to the Chronicle. And so... We got uh, him face-to-face with, uh, with Tillerson. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, so... I don't know. But he's on next week. Looking forward to having him on... Um, TextualGuestPodcast.com is a website. Rating and review, five-star reviews. If you're mad about the Castro comments, please do not really leave a review because we know we know what kind of review that would be. <laughs> you, well, you can leave a five-star and then say, you guys are a bunch of idiots. I'll, I'll compromise. Uh, see, that's how you compromise, right, Josh? Leave yeah, me right. a five-star, but then say, you guys are full of it. You're idiots. That's a fair compromise. Don't go one star and then criticize. But also don't go one star and then write a raving review. So it's five stars and critical. It's five stars no matter what. But then you can say what you want to in the comments below. Um, good to have you back, brother. We'll be back next week. Uh, until then. Oh, final thing. The cruise. We promote the cruise. It doesn't look like we're going to have enough signups. We will extend it one more week because we're off for Labor Day. But probably not have enough sign-ups, sign-ups to do that. So if you want it to do it, you want to do it, then you've got one week. And we will cut off the deadline for that. Until next time, keep Thank you.
Hey there, listeners. This is your producer, Nate, with a retraction from today's episode. Today, Ryan said that uh, Mark Papa said that he expects oil production to fall by 700,000 barrels per day next year. And that is not entirely accurate. The quote that Ryan was actually referring to is as follows. Shale pioneer Mark Papa, chief executive officer at Centennial Resource Development Incorporated, said Tuesday that he expects U.S. oil output to grow by 700,000 barrels per day in 2020, which is slower than government estimates. So, in other words, we don't have oil production falling by 700,000 barrels, but rather only growing by 700,000 barrels, which is much lower than what we thought. That is our retraction for this month. Please join us next week as we talk with Sergio Chapa about his work for the Houston Chronicle and what makes him a minor supervillain. Until next time, this is your producer, Nate Hansen, signing off and telling you to keep climbing.